It's a great blessing to be able to worship with you today. And we welcome those listening on the radio, those who are watching through social media. I want to run through a few announcements before we start our teaching today. And next Sunday we have Pastor Mark Drennenberg. Uh, he was with us, he and Nancy, his wife, um, for about three years before he started pastoring in Round Lake. And he recently published a book called It's in Your Bulletin, Five Smooth Stones for Prayer Warriors that is available through Amazon. And I believe he'll have copies of it for us as well next week to be able to purchase here. But I asked Pastor Mark to come and share God's word with us and kind of based off of writing this new book and kind of a new venture of faith for him, first published book that he has put together. And so uh, a little information, I just took the information that's in our bulletin from some of what is written about this book in uh, from Amazon's website. So anyways, if you'd like further information, next week Pastor Mark will be with us, and I know he could fill you in on those things. We have in the back, mostly in the uh, foyer, I saw one issue in the sanctuary, but the new Calvary magazine is available there. And uh, I was reading through one of the articles I hadn't finished reading this morning and realized that without even knowing it, I've pretty much covered the whole magazine already. And it's encouraging. Um, I am captivated by Wes Bentley going into Afghanistan and rescuing the article telling of over 200 people out of Afghanistan already and uh, the high risk, high cost of that rescue mission that is ongoing. And so they write a little bit about there in the issue, but also uh, just working in the articles as you go through it. You'll read about works with teens, those um, doing mission works in Mexico with the children and many things going on in the Calvary Chapel movement. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't got a copy yet, and not only the new copy, we have older issues sitting on the lobby hutch. And so they're worth the read. The whole idea was to put the Calvary magazine together well over 20 years ago now, was to let Calvary chapels like us, who are out in the middle of the Midwest, and maybe there's not too many Calvary chapels around us. There's one other one in Lake County to let us know that God is working through the movement and to even give us encouragement as we do the work that the Lord has called us to. So those magazines are available for those listening on the radio or maybe through social media. You can always look up Calvary Chapel magazine and find out information about the magazine itself, but also they're doing trying to do daily articles and posts now through social media, so Calvary Chapel Magazine. If you'd like to have prayer updates or have general updates about the church and we do not have your email information or you think, well, I never get an email update, well, maybe it's because I don't have your information and you thought I did. Uh, please, there is a line on the bottom of the connection card where you can give your email address, drop that in the back, and we'll be able to stay in contact with you. Uh, this coming Wednesday, looking at Exodus chapters 5 and 6. Exodus chapters 5 and 6. All right, we are third week into our chronological journey through the Gospels. And this teaching series, which is going to take me probably more than a year. And so it's up to the Lord how quickly, how thoroughly, um, how we get through all four Gospels, kind of combining the Gospels together and trying to order them as the life of Christ appears in Scripture from birth to ascension and, and take the four Gospels and just kind of mesh them together. Today that has us looking at two of the Gospels from Luke chapter 1 and also we'll look at Matthew, a portion of Matthew chapter 1. We find today the birth of the forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, but also of Zacharias, his father, how he prophesies concerning Israel's Messiah and prophesies over his forerunner, his own son, but the forerunner of the Messiah. And then we will meet Joseph, 
and his part of the Christmas story. You may have wondered why we were singing Emmanuel, our God is with us. Like, hey, isn't that a Christmas song? Well, we're kind of in that Christmas portion of scripture right now. So in a couple of weeks, next week, Pastor Mark Drennenberg will be here. But following that, we'll probably do some more Christmas songs for you because we're going to be talking about the birth of Christ from Matthew's gospel as well. But as I go through the accounts of Jesus's life, we see that it's more than just about Jesus Christ. Here we've already learned of Elizabeth. We've learned of Zacharias. We've learned of Mary. Today we'll look at Joseph, the four people who were a vital part of what we know as the Christmas story. But it was also important for these individuals to be surrendered to the call of God upon their lives in order that the Lord would be able to work through them to fulfill his purpose, not only for their lives, but for the salvation of the whole world. And I think that in the last two weeks and then studying for today's teaching, so three weeks into this, I'm just reminded again about the importance of our own role that we play as believers in Jesus Christ and to be faithful to the Lord. Maybe we're kind of wondering what the Lord would have for us. Lord, what do you want me to do? Zacharias and Elizabeth are a great example of this because before the angel Gabriel came to Zacharias there in the holy place of the temple, he being a priest, he and his wife were both faithfully serving the Lord and both were accounted blameless before the Lord, that they were righteous. And we learned a couple of weeks ago that even so, life wasn't going as planned. They were unable to have a child. They had not had the son that they had dreamed of. And now, well, in Luke chapter 1, we learned that they were well advanced in years and it, it appeared to them that it was too late for any such thing to take place. But today, we'll see that because of their obedience to the command of the Lord over their lives, a son will be born to them. Mary also uh, surrendered to the call that God had placed upon her life to be the mother of the Christ child, which to her and anyone looking at her story would say that this would be an impossibility. But she surrendered, and we looked at the surrender of Mary from Matthew's gospel. I want to go back and just catch her words to Gabriel and the words that she gave from a surrendering her life to the Lord. Actually, it's in Luke's gospel. See, that gets confusing. You're going from one gospel to the other, and I kind of get messed up as well. But her words there in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, as I said, this could be a memory verse for us this year. And if you're a guy, just insert manservant instead of maidservant. If you're a gal, you can read it as written. And Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be done to me according to your word. As a servant of the Lord, whether male or female, Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. And we find that it was surrender that in individuals' lives that caused God to do a great work through their lives and also in their lives. So today we're looking at another chapter in our chronological journey through the Gospels. I titled this chapter that we should be saved. And we're going to see three things today. The birth of the forerunner in Luke chapter 1 verses 57 through 66. The Benedictus in Luke 1, 67 through 80, and Matthew's nativity account, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And I'm going to go ahead and just pick up reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 and 58. I'm going to quickly ask God to bless the teaching of his word this morning and also ask that he would bless the offerings, the gifts given 
to this church. God has done so much uh, to allow us to be here since 1992, and it's because of faithful followers of Jesus Christ supporting this ministry that have allowed these doors to remain open, doors that as a church prior to us had been closed for over two years. So we are very thankful for the gifts given. And so let's go ahead and read Luke's Gospel, verses 57 and 58. I said, let's, I'll do the reading for you. Read along silently. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So, Father, we first and foremost do ask that the teaching of your word today, Lord, that it would just speak truth to our hearts today, things, Lord, that we need to hear. Looking at an account of Elizabeth and Zacharias and John the Baptist and Joseph and, Lord, how their faithfulness to your call upon their lives helped to change the world Lord, we pray that we would find courage in these verses today, realizing, Lord, that you have a plan for each of us, and all you desire for each of us to do is come to that place of surrender. Let it be done unto me, as Mary said before the angel Gabriel. And so, Father, I pray that your word would teach us this day. We are thankful, Lord, for the gifts given to this place through the tithes and offerings of brothers and sisters, Lord, who have supported this ministry since 1992 and continue to support us. We're grateful, Lord, for the work that you've allowed us to do, and we pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless this small church in abundant ways. Now bless, Lord, the teaching of your word. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit is with us, and we ask, Lord, that you'd open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, to receive from your word this day, we pray. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Although Zacharias and Elizabeth, and I had mentioned this already, but it comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, where it said, They were righteous before the Lord, walking in all the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord, blameless, but they were barren and well advanced in years. And so even though they were barren, and well advanced in years, they did not abandon faith in God. Things at this point had not gone as planned. Can you imagine a young couple being married and then longing for a child? And that child, whether boy or girl, um, not coming. And now they're well advanced in years. They're barren. They realized that no child would come. At least that's what they had thought. And yet they continue to walk in righteousness before the Lord. They continue to walk in all the commandments, the ordinance of the Lord. They were seen as blameless before God. And I'll add one more layer to this. Aaron was part of the priestly line, both being from the tribe of Levi and Aaron being part of the priestly line within the tribe of Levi. If they did not have a son, that would end that progression in their family line, which had been going on going since Aaron, who walked with Moses from the Old Testament days, and now it looked like that was going to come to an end. And so it would even weigh heavier upon them not to have a son. Now that Elizabeth had given birth to their son, imagine the joy, the joy of the neighbors, the joy of the relatives as they gathered together not only because of their great age, but because their prayers have been heard. Their son was born. And this reminds us that sometimes God, he doesn't say no to our prayers toward him. Sometimes he, he has a weight. He stays his hand because he desires to do a work that we could never imagine the Lord would desire to do. As it tells us in Ephesians 3, in verse 20, I love this verse. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. Can you ask and think about a lot of things? 
Just think about that for a moment. Could you have a checklist for God? A number of things? Paul reminds us that God can do more than we could even ask or think. As it was for Zacharias and Elizabeth. And so verse 59 and also verse 60. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child that they have called him by his father's name. They thought that they would call him by his father's name, Zacharias. And his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. So it was customary. It's the eighth day. The eighth day is the day of circumcision. Brit Milah is the Jewish term for this day. It's also known as naming day. So for every male child that was to be that is born into the Jewish faith, they are to be circumcised on the eighth day. They have combined the naming of that child on the same day, Brit Milah, naming day. And this comes from Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. I want to read the covenant of circumcision that God gave to Abraham. So reading from Genesis 17, 9 through 14, God said to Abraham, this is my covenant which you shall keep. Between me and your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you when he who is eight days old among you, you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the circumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that child shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And so since the time of Abraham, some 3,400 years earlier than what we are reading about in our passage today, they have kept this ritual of circumcision. It was a covenant between the Jewish people and God himself, as I said, known as Brit Mila. The covenant of circumcision is what it means. And every Jewish male on the eighth day was to be circumcised, Brit, to be keep that covenant with him as an identity to the Jewish faith. And beyond this, on the same day, is the ritual that the baby was given his name. Naming day. When that covenant was made with every male child, he also received his name. And it was natural for the friends, the relatives, to think that, well, Zacharias and Elizabeth would name little Zach. Look at, they may have been already calling him. Look at little Zach. And Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. And the Bible tells us that they looked then and argued with her, verses 61 through 63, and said, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would call him. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, his name is John. And they all marveled. So they made signs to the father. Remember, Zacharias had not believed that his wife Elizabeth would give birth to a son. And because of his unbelief, the angel said, you will not be able to speak until that child is born. But I think there's something more at play here. The child is born and he still, his tongue has not been let loose. He needed to follow through all the way with what God had commanded him to do. And the total follow-through was taking up not our kind of tablets that we have today, but taking up the kind of tablets that they had back then and to write out the name John. And that was a fulfillment of all that Gabriel had instructed him, that your wife Elizabeth would bear a son and you shall call him John. And if he would have wrote on there, little Zach, I don't think his tongue would have been let loose. He would have remained mute probably for the rest of his life. But he totally obeyed the call of God upon his life. And because of that, he was free to speak the word of God. But more than this, 
In verses 64 through 66, immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke praising God. And then fear came upon all those who dwelt around them. All these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. As I said nine months earlier, Zacharias doubted Gabriel, and Gabriel said, You will not be able to speak until that child is born. But the child was eight days old, and he still hadn't uttered a word. It wasn't until he wrote out, His name is John, that his tongue was let loose, and the first thing he said was, Praise the Lord! Have you ever had a moment of just praising God? I was shocked once on a job site when I had ripped off 99% of my thumbnail by hitting it with a hammer when I should have shouted out in pain and in times past may have said a bad word or two. The shout that came out was a praise the Lord. And there was, you know, the bleeding, everything else that was going on at that time. And the praise was that the language didn't come out of my mouth. That was the praise because I'd been praying, asking God to help me with my language. And here's the thing. I rarely spoke a bad word vocally, but those words were in my mind. And I wanted the Lord to even wash my mind of those things. So how do you test that thing? Well, let's, John, let's rip your nail off and see how you do. <laughs> Praise the Lord! As my Brigie friends looked at me, that guy is weird. <laughs> yeah, he is. He spoke praise, and the people marveled. Not that a priest would praise God, they would expect that. They marveled at the child, asking, What kind of child would this be? Proverbs 20 11, and here's so important for parents and their children. And even in the day and age that we find ourselves in, in this struggle with the education system and critical race theory and things that are trying to be pushed upon our children that we know is not right according to the Word of God, that Proverbs 20.11 reminds us, even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure or right, that we can instruct our children to know truth and should instruct our children to know truth at an early age. It's one of the worries, and I'm just going to throw this out here and get just slightly political on you, but right now the current administration wants to have, um, they want to get a hold of our kids as early as three years old. Let's not wait till kindergarten. Let's not get, wait until our kids get into the public school system to start teaching them opposite those things that they might be learning from their parents. Let's grab them early. And we've been studying Exodus chapter 1 through 4 so far on Wednesday evenings, but we learned there in Exodus that Moses was nurtured by his own mother, even though he became the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was nurtured by his own mother for three years at least, before she turned him over to the Pharaoh's daughter at that time when he was winged. And we wondered how much he learned. How much could a child learn at the age of three? I think quite a bit. You can begin to instill in them the truths of God. Even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right, and obeying the commandments of God, no matter the age. It frees our souls from unbelief. As Zacharias his tongue was let loose. He was freed from the unbelief that he had once known nine months earlier. So the Benedictus is a name that's been given to the praise that Zacharias now gives concerning the Messiah and the forerunner, his son, John. And so in verse 67, it says, Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, we learned last week that John was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And Luke 1.15. And this was made evident when Mary came to visit Elizabeth. And Elizabeth said, The moment I heard your voice, the child leaped in my womb. 
And then Elizabeth herself was filled with the Holy Spirit of God and spoke a word over Mary. And so we've already learned of baby John being filled with the Holy Spirit, the importance of value of life that, again, in our world today, life in the womb has not held at such great value, but the Bible holds it in high value that even God filled a child in his mother's womb. But the child and the mother being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now Zacharias is filled with the Spirit of God. The whole family, the entire family filled with the Spirit of God. And this is a promise that God gave us as believers in Jesus Christ. In Acts 1a, the Lord promised, Jesus promised, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You shall receive power and this power is not for the select few. For a believer in Jesus Christ, this power is for all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Zacharias in verses 68 and 69, he says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, For he has visited and redeemed his people, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Now he's talking about the Messiah here. His son John was from the house of Levi, not from the house of David or the house of Judah. And so clearly the beginning of the Benedictus is talking about the Messiah. And notice that He speaks as if it's a finished work even before Jesus had been born. He said, God has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Therefore, he blessed the Lord God of Israel. He testified that God had visited, God had redeemed, God had raised up this horn of salvation. And this speaks about, as I said, the Messiah. The house of David gives this connection as God promised David through the prophet Nathan, saying also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house and I will set up your seed after you. Who will come from your body? I will establish his kingdom and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. First Samuel 7, 11 through 16 is the whole Davidic covenant that God made with David. And Zacharias uh, continues the word of prophecy. He now speaks about the word of God itself as God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the beginning of the word. Zacharias now agreeing with the word of God, agreeing with scripture as God spoke through the mouths of the holy prophets. And they've been around, he said, since the beginning of the world. We know that the first to speak prophecy regarding the coming Messiah was God himself when cursing Satan at the fall of man there in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15 God said to Satan, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Christ bruising the head of, crushing the head of Satan there through his work on the cross. But that prophecy, the first gospel, as it's known to us, the Proto-Evangelium, that first gospel spoken by God himself in Genesis 3.15. But Enoch, according to Jude, verses 14 and 15, declared, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoke against him. That Enoch, spoke prophecy concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ before the flood. So sometime after the fall, but before the flood, Enoch was prophesying of the Lord's coming. So what was the message that the holy prophets declared according to Zacharias first, verse 71? 
that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hands of all those who hate us. Ultimately, Israel's salvation comes by the recognition of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, according to Romans 10.13, but that comes from Joel 2.32, where the prophet Joel said, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. For in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnants whom the Lord calls. In Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, there was salvation made available through Jesus' death upon the cross. And today, all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise from the Lord that he should save us from our enemies. And the greatest enemy of mankind is that of sin. Second, verses 72 and 73, that the Lord would perform his mercy, the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he had sworn to our father Abraham. So Zacharias recognized that the Messiah's coming meant that God's promised mercy would be seen among the people once again. And God had not forgotten his promise with Abraham. God had not forgotten his mercy, but this is letting us know that God had now prepared to act to reveal the end of his promise through the coming of the Messiah. God promised Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promised Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That promise is fulfilled through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ then is the promised seed that God again promised Abraham in Genesis 22:17 through 19. God said, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand on which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And then in verse 18, Genesis 22, verse 18, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And in Galatians 3.16, Paul wrote that now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say seeds as of many, but seed. And to your seed, singular, who is the Christ, that that promise that God made to Abraham was talking about Jesus. Zechariah also tells us another thing in verses 74 and 75 that God would grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, might serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So being saved, then in return of our salvation, we are to serve. And we're to serve, first of all, without fear, there's a lot of fear going on in our world right now. And sometimes it's hard to serve without fear. But we need to trust that God will be with us. But also to serve in holiness and righteousness. To conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ in this world that we find ourselves in. The purpose of our salvation, according to the word of God, that we would be delivered from sin and bondage. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 tells us, He has delivered us from the power of darkness to convey us into the kingdom of His Son, the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. We have been saved that we might be delivered from the bondage of sin and death. We've also been saved that we might serve Jesus without fear, as I just said, and as the author of 
Hebrews writes in Hebrews 9.14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's the purpose, that we are to serve the living God, to serve Jesus in holiness and righteousness. Because Jesus is our propitiation. It's a word that means Jesus then is our covering. And that word is found in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, where it says, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, to be a covering for our sins. Jesus becomes that covering for our sins. And how wonderful is the salvation of God that he has given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. This is because all of God's promises His blessings find their fulfillment in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ himself. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God are in him, are in Jesus. All the promises of God are in him, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, Zacharias shifts gears a little bit and begins to prophesy over his son. Now speaking a word over his son, John, in verse 76, he says, And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. John, he is the prophet of the highest because he went before the Lord. He went before the Lord to prepare the way as a forerunner would do in the days of the kings. They even do that here. I still remember many years ago, I believe it was a democratic convention in Chicago, and how they cleaned up a certain section of Chicago. They painted one of the bridges on 94, red, white, and blue. That bridge didn't look like that prior to this event, but it did because it was part of the pathway. They cleaned it up and they made it look beautiful. Probably didn't have too many potholes at that time on that road. May have even repaved the whole thing. Let it be a clear path. That's what a forerunner did. Isaiah 40 verses 3 through 5. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. And a forerunner back in the days of the kings would go before to prepare the road to make sure that their king had a smooth path to travel on. John the Baptist came in the likeness of a forerunner to go before the Lord to prepare his way. In verse 77, his purpose to give knowledge of salvation to God's people by the remission of their sins. And we discover that the message that John the Baptist preached, we'll see this when we get to Matthew chapter 3, was fairly simple. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus would begin preaching the gospel and he would say, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. To give knowledge of salvation through the remission of sin. Salvation comes through repentance. Today that repentance comes through believing in Jesus Christ that we receive forgiveness of sin. In Ephesians 1, 7, it tells us, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. Now, verses 78 and 79, this is talking about Jesus once again and not John. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The day spring, 
It refers to the rising of the sun, uh, the dawn of the sun, we might say. Just this week, Lily, she's not driving into work as much anymore. She worked three days from home this week. She'll work three days at work next week, two days from home, and kind of has an alternating schedule. But she says, the one thing I don't mind driving in early in the morning is to see the sunrise, the day spring, the day springing up on us. Well, this is a word speaking of now spiritually, the dawn of salvation has come through Jesus Christ. It is actually a name of Christ. He is called day spring. One of the many names of Christ that's given to us in the Bible. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise over you. His glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising, that this is the day spring, that Christ Jesus, the Messiah, and again, he's saying it as if it's a finished work when Jesus had not yet been born. But he's speaking as if the work has already been done. And during the time of Christ, the Jews' unfaithfulness combined with the Gentiles' Influence brought their land into a great place of darkness, and yet the day spring was coming. In John 12:46, Jesus said, "I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not walk in darkness. I have come as a light in this world, that we should not walk in darkness." It's one of the things I've been grateful for. I was raised in church, as you know. At two months old, my dad came to faith in Jesus Christ. And the only reason I know that is because when he told his own accounts of salvation, he said, I was holding Johnny and I don't know what I did with him. The next thing I knew, I was down front asking the preacher to pray over me. So I don't know what he did with me either, but apparently I was okay. I was placed in a safe place. And the Lord placed me in a safe place. He placed me in a home where my parents both believed in Jesus Christ. And they were challenged by faith. In mid to late 30s, both my dad and my mom, my dad had... Uh, Both had medical conditions, pretty major. My dad had a stroke. My mom had breast cancer. They both went through surgeries. And they came out of that wanting to serve God more, not serve God less. For some people, they go through difficult times and they abandon God saying, why have you done this to me? And they went through very difficult times saying, Lord, I can't do this without you. And so that caused me to be raised in a home that lived for Christ, that took ventures of faith, that my dad, when he surrendered to preach the gospel, uh, his training ground sometimes was at Illinois Beach State Park on Sunday mornings and preaching the word to campers, whoever showed up there. He was on campgrounds because they had a makeshift chapel there And they needed someone to preach. And so dad said, I'll go, I'll preach. For my dad, sometimes preaching was in a nursing home to people there in Zion, Illinois, that they needed the word of God spoke to them. So my dad said, I'll go. And he was willing to go and to proclaim the word to people who found themselves at the last stages of their life. He was willing to go wherever the Lord would take him. And it took him to a church called Mount Carmel Baptist Church where they had went through several pastors. And I have um, a recording, a cassette recording. I need to transfer it over into digital media. 
uh, because I want to give it to my sisters. You're listening. I want to give this to you because you'd love to hear it of the dedication of Mount Carmel Baptist Church where the deacon gave a history of Mount Carmel Baptist Church. And it's hilarious to listen to because every pastor they had, it seemed like every six months he died. And that's how he read out the history. Well, pastor so-and-so, he was with us for six months and he died. And well, then we had, and he died. And there's like, they either left or died within six months. And then my dad showed up and he was a deacon at his church. And finally, he kept preaching at Mount Carmel so much, his pastor challenged the people at Mount Carmel and said, either call them or send them back. Either keep them or give them back. But you can't have it this way. And so they called him into ministry. I was 12 years old when that happened. And so I saw my dad take over a church in Wadsworth, Illinois, that used to be the old schoolhouse there that is now their um, town hall. But when we got there, there had been a fire in the basement and they had not even cleaned up the burned residue in the church. It's like, really, you can't take the burnt paneling off the walls? It kind of stinks in here. And so I learned service for the first time in life. I learned what it meant to be a janitor at 12 years old, um, cleaning and serving the Lord. And we talked about my mom this morning with a few here. Uh, Those who knew her, her nickname was Mrs. Clean. And so that church would not do in the condition that we found it. And so it was vastly improved just by our family's presence being there. But we taught other people to serve as well. And I'm so blessed that the Lord surrounded me with that. It gave me an idea of what faith can be. But here's the thing. Mom and dad were not raised in Christian homes. So for them, it was the beginning of faith in their family. Maybe you haven't been raised in a Christian home. So for you, it can be the beginning of faith for your family. If we have been raised in Christian homes, take advantage of that because then we can build on the faith that we already have been given. But whether raised in a Christian home or not, it's an individual's choice to make. He who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For John, he followed in the footstep of his mom and dad footsteps of his parents. In verse 80, it says, so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert until the day of his manifestation to Israel. So John liked to hang out in the desert, in the wilderness. This would be part of his ministry. Perhaps mom and dad couldn't figure out, why is that kid always running off in the wilderness? Well, God was already working something in him at an early age that would prove to be part of of his ministry when he would begin his ministry. And we'll get to that in a few weeks. But at an early age, the spirit became strong. His spirit, notice in verse 80, we already know that the child was filled with the Holy Spirit from the mother's womb. But here it's speaking about the spirit of the child. His spirit now was being made strong. He was growing in his own faith combined with the spirit of God And ultimately, when he should have begun his priestly ministry as a priest to Israel, he would become the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And only Jesus can guide our feet to this way of peace. We need to know that. It's only Jesus that can do this. And so I want to close off with Matthew's nativity account. It's talking about Joseph in verses 18 through 25. And we're in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, picking up in verses 18 and 19. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed after his mother married was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make a public example, was mindful to put her away secretly. So betrothal, the betrothal period, It was a binding agreement upon which both the groom and the bride had signed a covenant, a contract. They were considered married. They were considered husband and wife in all legal and religious aspects except 
They had not uh, lived together yet. They had not consummated the marriage. And so they were usually a period of one year. We somewhat identify this with engagement, but if an engagement is off, you don't have to get in a divorce. That's what Joseph would have done, as we'll see in a moment. So they're in that one-year period, probably at this time. Mary had been off visiting Elizabeth for three months or more. And so when she learned that Elizabeth was with child, Gabriel told Mary that she is now six months with child, she who has been considered barren. And so Mary went to be with her until the child was born. Now she makes her way back. She's at least four months, maybe five months pregnant. Joseph realized Mary was with child. And uh, he knew that he was not the father of this child. And I'm sure Mary tried to explain the whole thing. Joseph, this is how it went down. The angel Gabriel appeared to me. He spoke to me uh, in a vision. He said that I was going to give birth to the Christ child. When I asked Gabriel, how could this be since I've never known a man or never been intimate with a man? The angel Gabriel explained to me, Luke 135, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who's to be born will be called the son of God. I'm sure she tried to explain all that to Joseph. And I am sure that Joseph had a very difficult time believing her. No doubt he loved her because the Bible tells us that he decided to put her away privately. So he was going to have a private divorce. He was going to send her away privately. It really shows us compassion that he had for her. He wanted no harm to come to Mary or her child, even though the child was not his. Here's something that I thought about this week. You know, it's easy to show compassion when things are going the way that they should be. When things go as planned, it's easy to be compassionate. Yet when life throws us a curve, it's hard to be compassionate. Yet Joseph's compassion was revealed when he learned that Mary carried the Christ child, although he didn't believe it was the Christ child at this point. Being compassionate toward her, he decided to put her away quietly. A private divorce. You know, the work of God in our lives should cause us to be a compassionate people. We should be willing to show compassion to others. First Peter 3, verses 8 and 9 says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this that you may inherit a blessing. We are, having received compassion from Christ, we are to be compassionate toward others. We've been called to this according to the word of God. So verses 20 and 21, as Joseph thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I mentioned this at Christmas time, that every time an angel appeared to Joseph, it was always in a dream. Every time we read about it in Scripture, for him, the Lord spoke to him in his dreams. And the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. For she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The word incarnation, it's a Latin word that means in flesh. Uh, to be immaculate, it means to be perfectly clean, without spot uh, or blemish, free from moral blemish. And both words, whether incarnation or immaculate, it speaks about the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man. This is because Jesus was conceived by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit as we looked at and already read from Luke 135. The Christ child then was the direct and unique creation of God who was born without the inherent sin nature of man. 
And it was through the overshadowing of the Spirit that Jesus was born, according to Hebrews 7.26, born holy and harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens itself. Through Joseph, we learned this at Christmas time, because he was descendant of David through Solomon, Jesus would have, as a stepson of Joseph, he would have the legal heir to the throne. But the line of Solomon had been cut off because of Jeconiah, one of his descendants. God cut off that line. God said no, none of the descendants of Jeconiah would sit on the throne of God. But Mary was also a descendant of David through Bathsheba's son, Nathan. And so this gives Jesus the bloodline to the throne. In Luke one thirty one, it says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. The angel Gabriel told Mary, his name will be Jesus. Now the angel appeared to Joseph in his dream said, his name will be Jesus. Why? Because the name Jesus or Joshua, it means Jehovah is salvation. And John the Baptist declared this about Jesus in John 1, 29, where he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. On the day of Pentecost, Peter declared to the people there in Acts 4, 12, saying, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. No other name under heaven. Paul would affirm this truth in Titus 2, verses 13 and 14 calling us to look for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We are to be redeemed, saved, but purified and zealous for good works. And finally, John teaches us Plainly there in 1 John 1, 7, it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. No matter what we have done, Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. He is our propitiation, that covering. Verses 22 and 23. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now you understand why we sung Emmanuel today. Here's the thing. The Bible tells us in Galatians 1.8, but even if we or an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel to you than what has been preached, let him be accursed. If we or any other or an angel from heaven, and here we have an angel from heaven declaring a word to Joseph, and what does he do? He validates the word spoken to Joseph by the prophetic word of God. He read to him Isaiah seven fourteen, behold the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All Joseph needed to hear was the testimony of the angel combined with the prophetic word of God to be an obedient follower of God. In verses 24 and 25, our last two verses for the day, we find that Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took to him his wife, did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So I titled this little section, A Patient Husband. So they've been married, but they would not consummate their marriage until after the child was born, the Christ child was born. That's what it means in verse 25. And did not know her, their marriage was not consummated until the child was born. It had to wait a few months. That's patience. He was also honorable in this, that he respected the situation as given to him, confirmed by the word of God. 
Jesus' earthly family. Now, some say, what, Mary had other children? Some part of the church says no. They would say that verses like Mark 6, 3 does not refer to Jesus' brothers, but to his cousins. But let's read Mark 6, 3. Is this not the carpenter, referring to Jesus? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters with us? Brothers and sisters. Moreover, John recorded in John 7, 5, that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John wrote, even his brothers did not believe in him. And hopefully all of his half-brothers and sisters came to faith in Jesus Christ. But we do know that James and Jude did because we have their epistles as a proof. But to this just, compassionate, obedient, honorable man, Joseph, God gave him the privilege of naming his son, Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. The Bible tells us in Romans 10:3, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And only those who receive Jesus' gift of salvation shall be saved. So what do we think about today's message? Well, I tell you this, when I think about what I've been learning so far as we've been taking this chronological journey through the Gospels, it's that of obedience. Obedience to every individual that we've looked at thus far. Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, now Joseph. We've been introduced to John. We find that he's growing in spirit at this point, but he too will be obedient to the call that God placed upon his life. We'll learn of him later. They all had specific roles in which the Lord called them to that would bring about the fulfillment of the Messiah's coming. They were obedient to the call that God placed upon their lives and it fit in the larger picture of God's plan for the salvation of the whole world through Jesus Christ. How hard would it be for us then, as followers of Jesus Christ, to do the same? How about we just be obedient to the call that God had placed upon our hearts? And maybe we're just seeking that. Don't you think that Zacharias, for years, and maybe he had figured, he'd already figured it out. He was from the priestly line. He was serving in the temple. He was doing what the Lord had called him to do as a priest in Israel. But God had a further plan for his life. Sometimes we just do what the Lord has called us into. And as we're faithful to go forward, then God will reveal those further things to us. There's a weird thing that happened to me yesterday. I shared it with Lily, and I haven't shared it with my friend John yet. He lives down in Punta Gorta, Florida. He pastors a church there called Peace River Chapel. And uh, yesterday morning, I was up doing what I do, my routine, making coffee. That's a go-to on Saturday mornings. I start with a healthier drink during the week, but forget the health stuff on the weekend. So coffee on Saturday mornings. I was making coffee, and the Lord reminded me of a dream that I had when I was Lily and I were at a pastor's and wife's conference in Florida several years ago. And in this dream, I was struggling up a mountain. I was on my hands and knees. And I was just hands and knees crawling up this mountain. And my friend John came walking up behind me, upright. What's going on, John? You know, he's just, we're on the same path. For me to go forward was a struggle. For him, he was just breezing up the mountain. And I remember sharing that with John years ago. He may or may not remember that because I told him we were actually standing in a dinner line when I was sharing the dream. I remember sharing the dream with him. And I said, I believe that what the dream is telling me is that faith for me has always been a struggle. It's always been a struggle forward, but I've always been going forward. And he looked at me and he says, like, you haven't been struggling. But again, every person knows their own heart, right? 
Faith for me has always been a struggle, but I've always in the process moved forward and I'm going in the right direction. For John, I can't put words in his mouth, but he was just walking up the mountain like it was no struggle whatsoever. He must have had the right boots on or something, but he was just going plodding forward. But maybe that fits for some of us here. Maybe faith has been a struggle. And you feel like I was in that dream. And I haven't thought about this dream in years. But there I was on this dirty, muddy mountain, hands and knees, struggling to get up the mountain. And you might look at others around and think, they're the ones, like my friend John was, just walking so plainly, like no problem. I think the important thing is the forward motion. We'll trip, we'll slip, we'll fall back, but keep going forward. As we keep going forward, God will reveal his plan for our lives. It's all we can ask of our Lord, that he would reveal his plan, not only in our lives, but through our lives. Let's play the role that the Lord has for us that the Lord plans for us. And so, Father, we thank you for your word, for what it teaches us this day. And I pray, Father, whether we feel like we're that individual struggling, crawling, doubting like Zacharias, unable to speak for nine months because of his doubting. Lord, Zacharias still followed through wholeheartedly when he finally wrote, that his son's name would be John. Help us to have such a forward motion, even when things seem to be going against us. Help us to be those, even if we're struggling, even if we feel like, metaphorically, we're on our hands and knees, we're struggling. Help us to go forward. Because we know, Lord, in going forward, your path is being revealed before our lives. That's all we want to do, Lord, is serve you. May it be the prayer of our hearts this day. For some, Lord, it may be that they need that first step of salvation. And if that's true, I pray, Lord, that they receive you as their Savior this day. For others, Lord, it may be that they're in a struggle and they just need to cry out to you. And they're looking around thinking, everybody else is like walking up the mountain, no problem. Here I am struggling. And so a cry for Lord help. Maybe for some of us, Lord, we see a brother or sister struggling and and we are going forward up the mountain and maybe we just need to lend a hand to lift them up, to walk alongside them for a while. Lord, you know our hearts, you know our need. I pray that you'd work in our midst this day. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Let's go ahead and stand and we're going to close out in one last song. I'll be down front for prayer if anybody has a prayer need. Also, We have prayer benches up front if you'd like to come and just kneel and pray just between you and Jesus. That's all you need.